We don't know for sure that Georgia Bulldogs will run it back again two for two in 22. We don't know that. I'm hoping for that. We don't know that. What will happen in 2023, we don't know. Because uh, we don't know what will happen this next year. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Be honest, we don't even know what will happen today. Today. You cannot know for sure what will happen. You cannot know for sure what the future holds, but here's the one thing you can know for sure. You can know for sure the one who holds the future. And that's better, isn't it? Would you rather know what the future holds or would you rather know the one who holds the future? The sovereign God. I'll go with that one. And we can, and thank God we can have that. You know, sometimes I don't want to know what's going to happen. I don't, if God said to me, you know what, I'll let you know what I'll, I don't think I want to know. I'm going to just let God handle that. It's too big for my mind. I'd rather not see it coming sometimes. But uh, you can know uh, your future is secure. You can't know your future, but you can know your future is, uh, is secure. Regardless of what happens. As it says in, in Romans 8, 28, we, all, we know what? All things work together for good, for the good, for good to those who love God. So we know that. And we know that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And in, in Romans 8, he goes through all these things that nothing can separate us from that. So we do know those things. I hope you know them. I hope you know that you have a secure future. You ought to. Well, so how can anybody know? I, I, when I'm witnessing to people and talking to people, nobody say, nobody can know for sure. Yes, you can know for sure. Not only can you know for sure, you should know for sure. God wants you to be a no-so Christian, not a hope-so Christian. God wants you to be an exclamation point, not a question mark. And so today I want to talk about how to know your future is secure. You know, we said the perfect song for the, for the message this morning because he lives. I can face tomorrow, even though I don't know what it holds, because I know he holds it. Because he lives, all fear is gone. That's the kind of no-so that we should all have as, as believers. And then to that day when we got to that one verse, and then one day I'll cross that river. I'm, you preached a funeral yesterday. I'm preaching a funeral today of a guy that was not expected to die at the age, young age of 60. And he just died on Christmas Day. And they, they took the body to the crime lab. They still can't figure it out. And then one day I'll cross that river. I thought that river came for me. If you haven't noticed my head yet, I thought that river came for me on Thursday night. When in the middle of the night I got up, as you do at my age, to go to the restroom the third time in the dark not wanting to wake my wife up and one of her little stools she keeps around several of them around the house tackled me boy I went down hard I thought my river had come I'm crossing the river like Fred Sanford I'm coming to see you know I thought my day had been here because I, I tackled and I went down and my head hit that commode it hit it like a boom a thud I didn't think about any cut or bleeding. Uh, my neck went back. I thought, man, I, am I going to die? I mean, I... And, and then Sandra said, what happened? And come in, turned on the light. She saw me laying against the wall with blood coming down my, my head. And she said, I think that's the first time I ever really seen you, seen you as old <laughs> and feeble. <laughs> I was like, hey, my David crossing that river had come, I thought, but... Thank God it hadn't come yet. I am going to cross that river one day. And you know what? By God's grace, I'm going to be ready. I'll be able to face uncertain days because I know he lives. I want everybody, I want all my 
all of you, because we dearly love you. We want you all to know that for sure, to know that you know that you know. And you ought to know. You should know. God's given us his word that we can know. Don't presume that you are. I presumed that I was a Christian because I was baptized when I was six years old, and I believed in God, and I went to church. I thought I was a pretty good person. But I was lost and headed for hell. And God opened my eyes one day, and I pray that your eyes are opened. So today I want to preach a message for those of you who might be presuming you are and you might not. For those of you who do know that you might be more assured of your salvation and your faith and that your future is secure. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says to do something. It says to examine yourselves. Examine, test yourself. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Don't just presume, examine. Take an examination. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Well, how do you know Jesus Christ is in you? People say, well, I just feel him. No, the devil can give you a feeling. It's not about a feeling. I just feel these. No, don't. Feelings are fickle. How do you know? Test yourself. Examine yourself. Why well, do you do that? Well, you do it with the Word of God, right? And I can't think of a better place to do it than in the 1 John. 1 John, because it says in chapter 5, verse 13, he said, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God said that you might, I've written these things that you might know. God wants you to be a no-so, not a hope-so. That you might know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So we're going to take a, a three-question test today. And there are three questions, three, three tests here that are given to us in 1 John. first one is the test of faith. The second one is the test of obedience. And the third one is the test of love. So the first test is faith. How is your faith? How is your faith? In chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 it says he who believes in the Son of God has life. No, has the witness in himself. He who does not believe has made him to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is where? In his son. Amen. The test of faith. Do you have a positioned faith? Do you have a positioned faith? Where is your faith positioned? Most people, their faith is positioned in themselves. Because when you ask them, so, well, I hope I've been good enough. Right, right, right. That's what they say. Their faith is positioned in themselves. They might think, well, Jesus is going to help me some, but I need to do some other. That's the wrong position. Amen. Do you have a positioned faith in Jesus? How is your faith? Life is where? In Him. Not in church attendance. It's important. Church attendance is very important. It's the fruit of salvation. And it's important to help you grow. You've got to have it. But it's not what your faith is in. It should not be what your faith is in for your salvation. Bible knowledge is very important. Again, it's a fruit of salvation. It's what comes from somebody truly being saved. And it's important. But your faith should not be in how much you know. Well, I know this and I know that. Therefore, I'm, no, it doesn't matter how much you know. It's not about what you know. It's about your faith and what your faith is in. Amen. 
Is your faith in good works? It should not be in good works. Good works are important. Again, that's the fruit of salvation. But your faith, if your faith is positioned in your good works, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because look what I do. You're in trouble. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, four, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. What's a gift of God? Faith. That salvation, the saving faith, it's a gift of God, not of works. It's not based on works, lest any man should boast. Then it goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved in order to do good works. So your faith should not be positioned in your, in your attendance, your Bible knowledge, or your works. Those are fruits of salvation. You know, Jesus said there will be many that come to him in that day and say, Lord, haven't we done many wonderful works? And what will Jesus say to them? No, no, you didn't do those things. Is that what he said? No, he said, I never knew you. You never belonged to me. You never believed and trusted in me. You trusted in yourself. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Because when you live by works and you put your faith in work, what you're saying is, I don't need God, I'll do it. And you're denying uh, what he did for us in Christ and the work of Christ and the necessity of it. Sometimes people say, well, I, well, I hope I'm saved, I hope so. Again, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, without faith it is, what's the next word? Impossible to please God. You can't please God. Unless you have faith in God. You can do all the works and you can do everything. You can, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. I hope so is not what? It's not faith. I like that old hymn. My faith has found a resting place. Not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds... For me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saved. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul I come to him. He'll never cast me out. My heart is leaning on the word. The written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. And then there's the course. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Is that your heart? Does that song represent what's in your heart? I hope so. Do you have a proved faith? A proved faith. In chapter 5, verse 4, look there with me quickly. It says... For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Our faith that's been given to us by who? You didn't, give, you didn't develop your faith. God, you didn't just invent your faith. God gave you your faith. God gave you the faith to believe. That's a gift of God. God worked that faith in. Now, your part is to what? Work it out. God works it in, gives it to you, and it's your part to develop it and work it out and grow in it. Do you have approved faith? And God, we talked about suffering in the world and trials in, 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 in uh, our D group this morning. And those, God sends those to us, why? To do what to our faith? To develop our faith, to strengthen our faith, to prove our faith. That's what Peter says. Some of you are going through fiery trials. But those fiery trials are more precious than gold to you. Because those fiery trials prove that you have genuine faith. They burn off the dross, and when you come through, it's pure gold. Do you have a proved faith? 
People who think, well, now that I accepted Jesus and I'm saved, bad things don't happen. No, they're going to continue to come, and they're coming for a good purpose. Do you have an overcoming faith? Faith that has made a difference in your life. A faith that has helped you overcome the world. Not perfectly, because that won't happen to win, to glory. But it's helping you overcome the world. Does your life prove your faith, as James says? Faith without works is what? It's not a real faith. Are you a believer or like what I was for many years in church? A make-believer. Now, I wasn't purposely a make-believer, but that's what I was. The word believe, the Greek word is pistuo. Uh, 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 when it talks about believe, the verb is pistuo. It's the same word, uh, pistis is the noun version, that we translate faith. I hate in the English language, uh, Paul, that we don't have a verb for faith. Yeah. I hate that. Because believe can mean a lot of things. But we don't have a verb for it, so we have to translate that verb, pistuo, which is the same noun form of pistis, faith. We have to translate it with believe. But it doesn't mean just have a belief. It means to have faith in, to be convinced of. To trust, to rely on. Uh, it's not just a mental assent. It's actually believing with all of your heart and trusting with all of your heart. That's what it means. Do you have a proved faith? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone and fully in Christ alone? Do you completely trust him with your life? Like the old hymn we used to sing, wherever he leads, what? Why will you go? Even if it's a dangerous place, will you go? Why? Because you know what? Your future is secure. Right? And you'll go wherever he leads you to. You won't be afraid. You might have some fear, but your faith overrides your what? Your fear. Do you have a present faith? Do you have a present faith? In John 5 verse 13 again it says, These things have been written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. We can't see it in our English translation, but that's the, the, the word believe, pistuo, is present tense in this situation, which means... Uh, people who are believing, and then he said that you also continue to believe. Do you have a present faith? What I mean is, the faith is, is your faith a believing faith? Are you believing now? It emphasizes the nature of the action continuing. It's not, it's believe, it's not believed. Here's where a lot of people get this wrong here. Please listen to me. A lot of people and pastors get this dead wrong. They ask you, you know, I don't know if I'm saved. Well, they'll ask you, was there ever a time that you what? Believed. That you said a prayer and that you believed. Was there ever a time? The Bible never does that. The never Bible ever talks about, did you believe? Did you ever say a prayer? Never. Never. Not once. But it does say what? Are you believing? Because if you are believing, guess what? Somewhere in the past you did believe. It's not what you did in the past that, that gives you assurance. It's what you are doing right now. And here's the question. Is the person sitting in your seat believing and trusting in Jesus Christ alone with all of his or her heart? And being. Guess what? If that's true, you are. You are. People say, and again, this is another one that really hurt, it's hurt a lot of people. 
they'll say things, well, if you don't know the day you were saved, you're not saved. You hear that a lot. I don't know the Presbyterian realms that you, you come up, but in the Baptist church, you hear that a lot. We have evangelists come. I think they just want to get numbers, notches on their belt, whatever. I just really despise that. If you don't, but that's not true. We say, well, how can something like that happen to you and you're not sure of the day? Well, it can happen. Because you, here's what I know. The Bible says this. These things have been written to you who believe that you might know you have. Guess what? Genuine believers can be what? Unsure. So God has given us his word to know for sure. And nowhere in this thing he, he given us to know for sure is, did you, do you remember the day? <laughs> it's not in there. It's not in there. That's not a way you know. Do you remember the day? There's not about a day. Now, it's, you know, I remember the day. That doesn't mean you have to remember. Some people are confused. I don't know if it was when I was 12 because I was brought up. Believe. I don't know if it was when I was 18 or I don't know. And I said, quit, forget all of that. Forget all of that. Don't worry about it. Are you right now? Believing and trusting in Jesus all God. Then it happened in the past. Forget it. You don't have to know that. Quit tearing yourself apart with that. Do you have a present faith? And then also, do you have a perseverant faith? Perseverance. You you heard the doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. A lot of people take that wrong. They think that if I just persevere... Ooh, it's hard. And I just hang on, then I'll be saved. That's not the perseverance of the saints. That's heresy. Do you have a perseverance faith? And again, it's not, it is your faith, but it's, it didn't come from you. Who did it come from? It came from God. So you don't brag on you, boy, I keep on believing. Man, I just... You're not breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back because God gave it to you if you have it. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. He who says he is in the light no, no, I, I'm looking at the chapter 2, verse 19. I'm going to get that one in a minute. Chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us because they were not of us. But if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went, they went out that they may be made manifest that none of them were of us. That's what John said. There were, there were people that were part of our group and fellowship. You know, they used to be, we thought they were one of us, but guess what? They went out and turned away. They went out. It's not they went to another church or something like It's just they went out from us. They're no longer part of us anymore, believers, part of the, the Christian faith. They're apostates. And he said, why did they do that? Did they all of a sudden stop believing? Did they just did they lose their salvation? No. It's because they never, it proved they never were of us. They never were. It wasn't like they were, now they're not. They never were of us. They didn't have a persevering faith. You know, when all hell on earth breaks out in your life, will you still be believing? If you have a genuine faith, you will be. It might knock you around and knock your senses <laughs> Like when I thought I crossed over the river Thursday night or Friday morning early. But you know what? It's not going to knock you out completely. Yeah, Christians can, can doubt and wonder whether you get upset with God, all, all these kind of things. But when all hell, do you have a, if you have a genuine faith, it's not going to leave you. You're going to, you, you, there'll be times you struggle with it. And say, well, how, if God loved me, how could this happen? There'll be struggles, but you will, you will not turn away from it. And somebody who said this, I love it, and you might want to write this down. You might want to write this down. It is so true. It's so biblical. But it's to put it in a pithy way. A faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. <laughs> you got that? 
a faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. At the very beginning, it wasn't real. They were believing for the wrong reason and believing without faith that God gives. We are saved by, we, we are not saved by persevering. We persevere because we are saved. How's your faith? Next, I want to ask you, the second test is, uh, what about obedience? What about your obedience to the Lord? That's another test we see in the scriptures. Keeping God's commandments is not the path to salvation. It is the product of salvation. You need to understand that, the product of salvation. But again in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it said, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Keeping God's Word is not the path of salvation. It is the product of salvation. It's having the Son. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift from God that we receive in receiving Jesus. You know, the Bible's very clear. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. What we all deserve for our sin is death and eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, by grace we say through faith that none of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it goes on to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works come as a fruit of our salvation, as a product of it. The path to, sal uh, the path to salvation is the straight and narrow way. And what is that? Jesus. What did Jesus say? I am the way. That's what I'm going to be preaching at the funeral today. He said it. I'm the way. There, now, the world says there are a lot of ways. The broad way. Jesus said, I am the way. He is the straight and narrow way. That's the path of salvation, is Jesus. But there's also a product of salvation, and it's obedience. Chapter 2, verse 3. Look at that really quickly. Chapter 2, verse 3. And then we'll look at verse 29. Now by this we know, we know Him. If we... Keep his commandments. That's the way you can know that you know him. By keeping his commandments. Obedience to the word of God is the product of knowing Jesus. And look at verse 29 of chapter 2. And now little children. Well, let's, let's uh, verse that's 28. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. How can you know? Well, you, how can you know if you know him? Well, are you practicing righteousness? The test of obedience. Is your life producing the righteousness of God? Number two, test of obedience. Someone who is genuinely saved will be a commandment keeper, not just a commandment speaker. There are a lot of people who speak commands. The Pharisees spoke a lot of commands, didn't they? <laughs> Even extra commands. <laughs> they were not keepers, though, of the weightier ones that Jesus said. Someone who is genuinely saved will be a commandment keeper, not just a commandment speaker. Chapter 1, look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. If we say, now notice how many times he says if we say. That's why, that's why I put it that way. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. 
and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth of God is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, here it is again, say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word and his word is not in us. And then also look at chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. He who says, again, it's the, it's the speaker. It's not about the speaker, it's about the keeper. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a, there it is again, God. There are people who don't want, think it's not polite to call people liars. What, what's God calling you? If you say one thing into it, so you're a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, Truly the love of God has been perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he, abide, he, who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. Someone who is genuinely saved will be a commandment keeper, not just a commandment speaker. Do you have a passion to keep God's commandments? I'm going to ask you that question. That's the way to, for you to help you know you're saved. Do you have a passion to keep God's commandments? In 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. Look there. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Right now. Imperfections and all, we're the children of God. But it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. It's not the ultimate. We're not the ultimate right now. But we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when I ask you a question, uh, do you have a passion to keep God's commandments? All I was really asking is, do you have a passion to be like Jesus? What did Jesus do? How many commandments did Jesus keep? All of them. And he loved God the Son, loved God the Father, and wanted to please him in everything. Do you have a passion to be, all I'm saying is, do you have a passion to be like Jesus? Do you want to be, do you kind of, I can't do this because I'm about him. I should have been more like Jesus right there. I, I blew it. Do you ever do that? Does it make you mad that you're not more like Jesus? Do you hunger and want to be more like Jesus? Do you have a passion to keep God's commandments and be like Jesus? And one day we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he I look forward to that day. It's not the golden streets or the pearly gates. I look forward to the day when I'm like Jesus and I never sin against him again. Also, not only do you have a passion to keep God's commandments, do you have a, a power to keep God's commandments? Do you have a power that you didn't have before? In uh, chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You have a power. You've overcome because he's in you. And he is greater than what? Than the world. You have a power now that you did not have before. Chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we have... We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. 
We're no longer under the sway of the world. We used to be, and you can remember a time that you were, but now you know you're not. It doesn't mean that you're not tempted by the world, but you know what? The world does not have that power and sway over you. The, the Spirit of God has that now. Do you have a power to keep God's commandments that you did not have before? And then number three on this test of obedience, someone who is genuinely saved will keep God's commandments faithfully, but not perfectly. Because if you say you have no sin, what? You're a liar. And you're not, you're not part of him. So someone who is genuinely saved will keep God's commandments faithfully, but not perfectly. Look in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Look there very quickly. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have not sinned, no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things have I written to you so that you may not sin. I'm not telling you that you, you, know, you have as an excuse for you to have an excuse to sin. I'm writing these things that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's always praying for us, always interceding for us. His blood has interceded for us in all of our sins, past Present and future. Aren't you glad you have an ever-living uh, intercessor whose blood Amen. speaks for you? Amen. And then also in, uh, uh, verses, in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a, there's that word again, liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And then chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Whoever abides in him, listen to this. This is what really scared me to death. As a young Christian. Whoever abides in him does not sin. When I read that as a young Christian. I thought oh. I know I'm different. I know. But I know I sin. That scared me to death. That scared the. What did you say? The bejeebies. Out of me. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. It's not like they knew him before and then they've never seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness, there's that key there, is righteous. Just as he, meaning Jesus, is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil. And the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the sons of God... The Son of God was manifest that he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, speaking of Jesus, remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And I'm thinking, man, I, this is trouble. I can sin. How many of you know that you can sin? So that, that, that's kind of trouble. This is kind of, is there a problem here? No, not a problem with God's word. It's a problem with translation. It's a problem with our understanding of it. Uh, but it's not a problem with God's word. Saying that, you know, those who know him keep his commandments. And they, those who know him don't sin. So what we need to do is better understand the situation here. There are two, two keys to understanding this passage. And uh, the, the, the number one, the first key is the tense of the verb does not sin. Does not sin. The tense of that verb. 
the tense of that verb is a present tense in, uh, indicating continual action. It can be translated, who knows him does not continually practice sin. And we also see that with it. He, it says, he, you know, the, those who know him practice righteousness. How many of you have ever practiced something? Is practice perfect? We have the saying, practice makes perfect or makes more perfect. But it is, you're not perfect. So it's practicing doesn't mean you're perfect in it. But you are trying, you're practicing, you're growing in sanctification. So the tense of the verb is important. So it's a, it does, when it says does not sin and cannot sin, it means does not, cannot continually practice and live in sin. And the point is, if you can continually live in sin without regret, without conviction, without remorse, you, my friend, have never been born again. You've never been saved. Because a true child of God can't do that. We can't, but we can't. We're miserable. We're convicted. We're out of fellowship with God the way that we should. Not out of relationship, but out of fellowship. So we need to understand the tense of the verb that doesn't come through in our translation. And then also the word, the, the, the meaning of the word keep. Talk about keeping his commandments. How many of you here keep all of his commandments all day long, every day? Nobody does. So what, what are we talking about here? And this key that really helped understanding this word, this word keep, the Greek word is tereo. And it's again present active subjunctive word in, in, the, in the Greek here. This word keep means to watch carefully. It means to observe, to obey, to pay attention to. You pay attention to God's word. It doesn't mean that you keep every one of them without fault or spot, or blemish. That's not what that word means. It can apply. The English word can mean that, but this word does not. It means to watch carefully, to observe, to obey, to pay attention to. You know, the, the term was a, was a nautical term used by sailors. When they talked about keeping the stars. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Keeping the stars. Before navigation systems that we have, how did they sail from across the ocean from one place to the next? They did it by the stars. They looked at the stars and navigated by the stars. That's called keeping the stars. Did that mean that sometimes a guy who was in charge nodded off to sleep and kind of got off course? Could that have happened? Yeah, it did happen. But what happened when he woke up? He looked at the stars, got back on course. Does that not mean that when you're keeping the stars as a sailor, storms can come, clouds can uh, come, uh, storms can rage and really knock you off course? Could that not happen? Yeah. But what happens when the storm stops and the clouds part? What would the sailor do? Look at the stars and what? Get the ship back in line with the stars. My friend, that's what a true believer does. They keep the commandments. They keep the stars. Sometimes we can get knocked to and fro, uh, off course, off kilter, but through the help and conviction of the Holy Spirit, what? We go back to, our, to the Word of God, the stars, and we align our life back with what the Word of God says. We keep His commandments. Someone who is genuinely saved will keep God's commandments faithfully, but not perfectly. Uh, can you knowingly, willingly, continually sin without conviction, without regret, without remorse? If you can, you've never been saved. And then lastly, the last uh, uh, test is the test of love, the test of love. A true child of God will love God and will love God's people. A true child of God. Right. So the question, two questions here. Do you love God? It says in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love God because He first loved. If you love God, it's not because you just figured out, oh, He's great, I'm going to love Him. You only love Him because He first loved you. 
But it says we love God. That's a fact for any true born-again child of God. They're going to love God more than they love the what? The world. The world. You can know you love God if you what? Do not love the world. Right? How can you know you love God? Well, when you do not love the world anymore, you know that you love God. Where do you get that? Well, <laughs> in, in John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, look what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father who we say we love. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. How do you know that you love God? Well, uh, you know you love God if you no longer love the world. If you no longer love the world. Back in 19, it was the year of 81, it was December the 31st of 81, it's going to be turned in 82. I was, act, I was actually at the Sugar Bowl to see Georgia repeat. I just knew we were going to win our second national championship in a row. We had won in 80 with Herschel Walker, and we're going to win again. I was just so sure. And I was sitting up in the nosebleed section, <laughs> and we were watching. I saw Dan Marino throw that final touchdown pass for the uh, for the uh, for University of Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and of course they won the game, and we lost it. We have a chance to do back to back this time. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because we got there, uh, you know, the night before and the day before on. What happens in New Orleans on, let's say, um, New Year's Eve? Huh? Yeah. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a new Christian. I've been a Christian about a year, and I'm there. I'm excited about the game. But we were on Bourbon Street, people. I mean, women not clothed coming out, people drunk out on the street with vomit, I mean, it was just, it was debauchery as you can only imagine. And the people I was with, oh, wow, look at that. They were laughing and look, oh, this is, this is cool, this is neat or whatever. I was grieved. I was distraught. I was broken. It made me miserable. And just to, to see the world so lost, I couldn't love that. I couldn't laugh at that. It grieved me to see that. That's how I know I'm saved. That's the way you know that you're saved. If you don't love the world, you see the lust and the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all the misery, although it looks like they're having a good time right now, we know there's a what? Only a, there's a season of pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. We know that, right? We know what it leads to. We know what, why they're getting drunk because they, they're lost. You do not love the world. And you do hate sin. You do hate sin. Chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In verse, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin, the appeasement for our sin. That in order for us to be saved, God had to sacrifice Himself, God the Father through God the Son, and put Christ, put the sin of the world on Christ, and that Christ would suffer the wrath of God to be the propitiation for our sin. And any true child of God understands that and knows that. And when you know that, what is your attitude towards sin? You hate it. Because you realize that's what put Christ on the cross. How can you say you love Him and yet love the thing that nailed Him to the cross? 
and put him through such agony and despair, becoming sin for us. You can know you love God if you do not love the world and you do hate sin. You know what? You cannot love without hating. Did you know that? You cannot, it's not possible to love without hating. It's not possible. You hear these people, no room for hate. You, you see that slogan? No place for hate. And they're the most hateful people you can find. Because if you don't agree with them, they what? They hate you. They want to bring you down. You're a Christian baker and you don't want to bake a cake for a wedding. You'll bake them a cake for anything else but for a wedding. As a matter of fact, if they were hungry and starving, you would give them a cake. But you want to bake a cake for their wedding. What are they going to do? They're going to bring you down. And the last thing you would do, you would ever want to bring them down. We love our neighbors, right? The Bible says, love your enemies, pray for them. They say, no room for hate. <laughs> and yet they're the most hateful. But we have, we're to have hate too. We're to hate what? Sin. Not the sinner, but we're to hate sin. And then also you do keep his commandments, as we've already talked about. This is how you can know you, 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 uh, you love God. You, don't, you do not love the world. You do hate sin. You do keep his commandments. And then lastly, you do love God's people. That leads to the, the next question. Do you love God's people? Chapter 3, verse 10, look what it says right there. In this, the children of God... And the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Here's a way you can know you're saved. You've been truly born again. Because we love the brethren. You love God's people. Who does not love his brother abides in death. It's not like you were saved and then you lost it. You never had it. You've been abiding in death all along. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And then finally in, 20, in 21, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, here it comes again, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him. He who loves God must also love his brother. Again, keeping the commandments is a thing we want to do if we're truly saved. Do you love God's people? People say, well, I just can't love that person. That's scary. Yeah, you might in your flesh can't love them, but who, in, who lives inside of you? Huh? Huh? If you're saved, he said, you failed the test if Christ is not in you. Does he live in you? Then guess what? You can love that person. You can love, you can know you love God, God's people, if you want to be with them. <laughs> if you want to be with them. People, you know, say, well, I love God, but... I'm not involved in church. I don't have any time for church. What is that saying? They're lost or something's desperately, they've, they've really lacked in their sanctification and growing in knowledge of the Word of God. Something's wrong if you don't love God's people. Something's desperately wrong. He said, matter of fact, if you don't, then you're a liar. You don't love God. You can't love God without loving God's people. You want to be with them. Do you want to be with God's people? I want to be with God's people. I mean, this decision that God, uh, we believe God's leading us to to do this mission, the hardest thing is to leave you guys. 
We love you guys. We dearly, dearly love y'all. We love not just you, but we love this church. We love, uh, we love Pastor Paul, uh, his, his wife, his family. We love the way this church is. We love the, the way the Word of God is preached. And to be honest with you, we're not going to be hearing the preaching down there that we hear up here. And Sanders talked about that over and over again. And the, the guy who is going to be preaching, the guy, uh, he's, a, he's a friend of mine, and he's an assistant principal, and he has a zeal and passion for the Lord. He is a strong, courageous Christian, but he's not as well uh, trained and experienced in preaching God's Word as, as Paul is. And Sandra said, maybe God's leading us down there to help him, help him with that some, and he wants me to preach a, a lot for him to help him. Uh, the, and the music, <laughs> the, the music we have here, and I'm including the ones who lead it, and knowing them, and knowing their hearts, and the kind of songs we sing here, that I'm sure you have something to do with them, picking out the songs, and, and, you, and Courtney does too. And all. We, we sing the best songs, people. It's not this rah-rah, shallow stuff you hear on the radio like all the churches. We sing deep, rich, rich theological songs. Songs that get my heart pumping. Not just a feeling, but it speaks the truths of God. And I love it. And we love this. We, we not only love this church and the way things, we love you. And that's what makes this a hard decision. And so with that, I say that, you know, you're not seeing the last of us. I said, Paul, call me whenever you need me and we'll do our best to work out. And when we, when we can work it out, we're going to be coming to the uh, Doing Life Together groups. Why? Because we genuinely love you guys. We don't want to say goodbye. It's the last thing that we want to do. But we feel like we can better reach our neighbors there in Perry and maybe help a church start who I've been told that they don't want to do church the way all the other churches do and with the segregation of the groups and all this kind of stuff, which I totally against. I said, I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. That's why I drive all the way here. I don't want to be a part of a pragmatic church that does things the way that all churches do them and it doesn't work. It doesn't produce the fruit that we need to see. They might have numbers, but it's a lot, what I believe a lot of false converts. I want to be a part of a church that's doing things right. And so, uh, and, and they said that they, they want to do that. They want to do that. But you want to, if you love people, you want to be with them. You want to, you, you, want to, you want to be right with them. You don't want to be at odds. And so I say then, if there has been something and I can do things that has offended you or hurt you, please let me know. I want to be right with you. Now, if I hurt your feelings because I said something that God's Word says and it made you upset, well, I'm going to say I'm sorry that, you know, about that, but I'm not going to change that. I've told people. I put my arms around people. I said, I'm sorry it made you mad at me, but I love you, and you can get mad with me and walk out, but I'm still going to love you. But if I could say it in a bad way, or I could ignore you, and not because Sandra says I put on blinders, and I don't see her here. And I, so please let me know, because I want to be right with you, because you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I dearly love you. I know Sandra feels the same way. We want to be right. If you love somebody, you want to be right with them. And then lastly, you want to be helpful to them. You want to help them. And again, y'all have helped me tremendously. Paul, you, you said I helped you. You've, you've helped me, brother. And when you love people, you want to be helpful to them. And he, he says, in chapter 3, he said, you see your brother in need, and you say you love them, but yet you don't do anything to, love, to, to help them? How does the love of God dwell in you? It does not. You want to help. And so that's how you can know you love God's people. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Did you pass the test? I hope so. If you're not sure, keep examining. Talk with Pastor Paul. Talk with me. Please do not put your head on your pillow tonight without knowing you passed the test. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church, for these people that we 
dearly love and enjoy. It's not difficult to love him as it is the Lord to love some. And we got to love the ones that are difficult. But Lord, it's so easy to love. And we thank you for them. And we pray that your hand of favor and blessing will continue to rest up upon this church. And God, for you to use them. And sometimes when we look at numbers and we see things and we wonder, Lord, we don't need to run because you're sovereign God. You are doing your work. And you are, are making a difference through us for eternity's sake and accomplishing your purpose. And we trust in that. So Lord, help us to continue to grow and continue to love you. And Lord, these fruits and products of salvation will continue to grow in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.